You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Locked On Indians. This is Jeff Ellis. We will get to the draft today. We do have some more news to talk about. Uh, so let's just start off with the news. Those uh, those top free agents are falling uh, one or more a day. So we talked about that on Saturday, uh, MLB trade rumors had released their 10 best players left available, and that is of their top 50. Since they released that list, three more players have signed. Uh, all relievers, it's interesting, the reliever market has really picked up, and today was no, uh, no different as Steve Chizik uh, jumped across town. He was with the, pretty effective for the Cubs a year ago. And now he's going to be likely pretty effective for the uh, the Chicago White Sox. And I'm probably being unfair. He was actually really effective. It was one of his better recent seasons. His strikeout rate was down. His walk rate was up. Um, it is a funky delivery, but uh, it's an effective one. And you look for the Cubs, 70 and 64 innings the last two years. Uh, he's come out. He has done the job. He has been effective. Um and he, you know, if you have some concern, it's that the home run rate has been rising, but it, it's a one-year contract with the 750000 buyout. So it's essentially like 5.25 this year and then a $750,000 buyout at the end of the year. So he's guaranteed $6 million. That's all it's going to cost uh, the White Sox to make their pen even better. Uh, White Sox continue to uh, get better and better. This is a nice addition to their team. It is a good get. It is not pricey. It's a one-year rental. I think it's a very smart move by the White Sox. Um, yeah, I mean, they've, they have had a really good offseason, and Chiswick is another solid piece for them. It's interesting now because with Chiswick, uh, Craig Stamen, and uh, Hudson signing, that means that everyone who was a relief pitcher is gone from their, their last top ten. And essentially at this point, um, you know, I mentioned when they released that, there's only three guys left who are not ranked. Those were the last three guys, Ivan Nova, Drew Smiley, and Pedro Stroop. Those guys now all would make the MLB trade rumors 10 best free agents left. There's only 10 of their original top 50 uh, still available to be signed. It is a very sparse list. It's not to say there isn't talent who isn't on the list, but it's interesting. And if you believe the talk right now, Robinson uh, Torinos is in the next two, two days is likely to sign with the Texas Rangers. Uh, good sign by them. Good get for him, uh, him as well. That would mean there's only nine guys left. Um, it's it's getting interesting. I mean, Todd Frazier is a name that's picking up a lot of steam out there. Uh, he would probably slot in there on a lot of people's lists. Solid get uh, for whoever gets him. But uh, if you believe the talk, uh, Torinos, Frazier could both, and Castellanos could all be headed to the Rangers. Um, so if you're curious who's left from that list, Donaldson. We'll see what happens with him. I don't think anyone really knows entirely, but we're, I think most are betting on Braves Castellanos. I think most of us are betting that he would go to the uh, the Rangers. Azuna, um, you know, the Cardinals, the Reds, and the Rangers. If the Rangers get Castellanos, it doesn't make sense. I think the Reds are kind of... I mean, they went out and they made their move. I don't know if that makes sense. The Giants have been linked to Castellanos. Maybe they jump in on Azuna, who would make sense as, you know, a relatively young guy who would fit into their... Uh, their projection, and then you have to go down Yasiel Puig, just still sitting there, uh, nothing occurring. Uh, soon it just turned 29, if you were curious. Uh, nothing on Puig, nothing on Wood, nothing on Holt. Those are the three guys who'd be next up before the other ones I mentioned. 
And then at that point, it's a lot of, you know, what do you think about Todd Frazier? What do you think about Alex Gordon? You know, it's, it's guys like that where there's age and there's warts. And, you know, players that are clearly on the decline. Um, Brandon Kinsler is another reliever. Hunter Pence. Uh, ben Zobrist, who didn't really play last year hardly at all. You know, those are just guys of note. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting. The Dodgers also made a move today signing Jimmy Nelson, who the another one of those guys the Brewers let go. And Nelson was pretty terrible in 2019. Missed time in 2018 due to uh, to injury. Did not come back well this year. Rest 22 innings. But before that, um, you look at Jimmy Nelson as a starter. Uh, 2016, he pitched uh, 30 games and had a FIP of 4.1. 2015, that or I'm sorry, that was 2015. 2016, not so great. He was okay. He was a back-end arm, FIP of 5.2. But then 2017, I mean, he was really good. 29 starts, 175 innings, 3.05 whip, 2 walks per 9, 10.2 strikeouts per 9, uh, 0.8 home runs per 9. And he gets hurt and is largely ineffective and gets let go. Interesting cheap uh, gamble by the Dodgers. He did the same thing with Blake Trahan. Um, Nelson's only going to cost them 1.25. That's like nothing. Uh, so it, it's a good gamble. But at the same time, man... The Los Angeles Dodgers, they lose their number two pitcher, and they've done nothing. You know, all the talk about, oh, they need to diversify, they need to add a bat, they need to do this, they need to do that, nothing. And we haven't really heard them rumored on Donaldson at all of late, so much so, like, I haven't even talked about them with Donaldson. Um, yeah, I, it's, you know, it, they're supremely talented team, and they've got waves coming up through the minors. And I see a lot of people like, oh, well, you have to give the the Dodgers so much credit because you know they've never tanked and they've they've de- and they develop so well. And I'm not saying they don't develop well, but that's also like looking past the sheer amount of money they've been able to spend internationally, um, kind of going around the fringes, adding extremely talented players at points when uh, back when there were not quite as high of restrictions on adding international talent. Um, I mean, they built that system, and a lot of the reason they haven't had to trade away some of their supreme upside talent is because they were able to go out, and when Friedman got there, he bought everything that wasn't nailed down. Not a bad approach at the time, but uh, that, that's what we're seeing there. So, that, yes, they never really have bottomed out, but there have also been hesitant to spend for you know one of the biggest markets. They never sign the, the, one of the top three guys in free agency. And then they don't trade their pieces away. They're very much, uh, they hoard, hoard, hoard. And that's kind of where they are. But the Dodgers, I mean, that's their second biggest addition. So that's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that. Uh, the White Sox with Chiswick, we talked about. I mean, they're, they're doing the best. Uh, they're having a really strong offseason. I don't think you can debate that. Just some other interesting minor notes. Uh, Ryan Cook accepted a minor league deal. Uh, it's been a while since you know he pitched in the majors. He didn't pitch last year. He's not great in 2018. It's a guy though I had to talk about because, man, uh, go back to 2012. He was an All Star in Oakland, a FIP of 2.89, 73 innings. 2013, uh, not an All Star but virtually just as good. 2014, almost as good, and then it just kind of starts to slip on him. Uh, I, I don't have you know expectations of him coming back, but it is just kind of the how crazy, how quickly a reliever can fall apart. Uh, 
And I want to talk about Austin Bryce. It was announced today that uh, he was let go by the the Miami Marlins with uh, one of the recent maneuvers. Uh, one of those guys that's also interesting from having been born in China, not kind of what you expect. Fastball velocity, uh, mediocre. Fastball spin, below mediocre. But what makes him interesting, beyond the fact you know he's got four seasons in the majors, he's pitched in 106 games, and he's been an okay pitcher, is that uh, his curve spin rate is 94th percentile. So while the fastball isn't there as much, his uh, his curveball is actually a really interesting, really solid pitch. I, I don't think it's necessarily someone the Indians would go for right away, but I, I think they would look into him. And, you know, he has featured that curveball like 45% of the time. He knows it's his bread and butter pitch, and it is definitely the one he goes to. You know, his fastball uh, is, a, is a low 90s offering, and that curve in the, the low 80s has great separation and spin. And it makes him an interesting guy just to kind of see. I think a, a team on the lower end should definitely consider Austin Bryce. Um, if only for the, I mean, the spin on a breaking pitch is, uh, it brings such great value, even more so, I think, sometimes in the spin on a fastball. So that's the, uh, that's kind of our breaking news of the day. There isn't, uh, I mean, another, another domino falls is basically what it comes down to. And the Indians are still sitting there doing, um, daily squat. It's frustrating. I mean, I don't think there's any way around it. And the kind of the statement I put out on Twitter today is, I think you can very easily blame a lot of sides in this. Like, the Indians made it to the World Series. The Coenza and Edwin Encarnacion to the biggest contract in team history. And attendance goes down. The Indians have a stretch of uh, three years of making the playoffs every single year, being in, in contention since basically since 2013. They've been in contention every year until late in the year. I mean, yes, there's hasn't always been great, but I... And I understand that outside of that World Series year, it's been frustrating because it was early bounce, early bounce. But I live in Milwaukee now, and whenever a Brewers fan finds out I'm an Indians fan, the first thing they say to me is, why don't your fans go to games? We wish we had as much success as the Indians have had in the last 20 years. What's what's going on? Why why do Cleveland fans... Is Cleveland not just, just not a baseball town? Like, this goes... And I'll say, like, Brewers are kind of amazing. I remember when they were absolutely miserable going to a game, and it was nearly sold out, and everyone was out tailgating before the game, and uh, it felt like... I was like, there's better energy here than the Indians who are going to the playoffs. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to hear another market and hear the fans just kind of be baffled by what's going on in Cleveland. There are fantastic fans in Cleveland, but there are... Uh, issues with attendance. I think it is fair to say there are issues with overall attendance in Cleveland. Um, the other side of things is you have an owner who just seems to be tightening the purse strings more and more every year. And, you know, I was a very ardent defender. And part of the reason was, is, you know, I do think there's issues with attendance. I, I wrote many an article on that. But now you have an owner who makes just terrible comments. And uh, when they should... Uh, I am totally okay with them bottoming out and doing this. I, I, some people are like, I don't think they should have the idea of these comp competing windows anymore. And I'm like, no, I'm all, I think that's the, often the most effective way is you, you kind of ride the tide up and then you ride the tide down and you trust your front office to, to make the right moves on the tide down to make it a short stay down there before you, you go back up to the top. I mean, the Indians 
for all of their uh, their tied down moments, had three top ten picks in that period. Lindor, Pomeranz, and um, Frazier. And I think Palm was actually the highest of those picks. If not, it was Frazier. But they, you know, they did not really have a, a low, low bottom out for an extended period of time like some organizations do because they made smart trades on the way down to help their, their core kind of rebound for the next grouping. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, if I was an owner, I'd be like, okay, let's overspend now, and I'm going to make up some of that money, A, because I own a franchise, and they always increase in value. It's a great great place to stick your money and just watch it appreciate um, and make a little... It, it's like the best high-yield stock is owning a sports franchise. The value is always going to go up. You're always going to be able to sell it for much more than you pay for it, and you're more than likely making a good chunk every year. Uh, you own a stadium that the city built for you, and you make all the money off of that. It's a pretty sweetheart deal, let's be honest. So to see your owner cutting payroll when he should be increasing payroll, when you have this window and this chance to do stuff. I mean, the Indians have spent $7 million this year. That's all they've spent in free agency with a salary that was going down, that was already, even with salary arbitration increases, I mean, uh, just trading Trevor Bauer is a huge effect on what the salary was projected to be. Like, the, And that was one of the things I talked about. You know, We saved money with Bauer by trading him when they did, and that's kind of been forgotten. We don't even have to go into uh, some of the, the decreasing salaries, the guys that left in free agency and stuff like that. Just trading Bauer was going to cover the majority of arbitration increases. Then you trade Kluber and save even more. I mean, the Indians are almost at a net negative. I mean, their salary is if they don't do anything, is undoubtedly going down again, second year in a row, after we were kind of told, well, last year was a balancing year. And then on top of that, remember, they're getting more money back this year. <laughs> the Seattle Mariners are sending them additional money this year from their deal a year ago. So, yeah, there's no excuse for it. So it's in the problem now is you have an owner who seems to be a little bit annoyed based on his statements at a fan base that doesn't support the product. And you have a fan base that doesn't want to support the product because they have an owner who doesn't spend. So it goes back and forth and basically everyone's spiting each other and uh, it's a big, ugly, terrible mess. And if my final feel is, if fans, if the Indians are winning, we need to support them in the stadium. They have decreased uh, you know, their, the size of their stadium in the past few years. We can do better. We don't need to be, you know, bottom five in attendance, bottom ten in attendance. But at the same time, if we have an, if there's an owner, um, you know, Mr. Dolan, and you don't want to spend to have a competitive team, then you probably shouldn't own a team either. So the the thing at the end of the day is, I think a lot of fingers can be pointed. I think a lot of people can take the blame here. But uh, fans, we all need to probably be a little bit better about going to games and. The owner needs to be a lot better about uh, fully investing in this team. So uh, we have a little bit of time left, so let's go into my big board, as Proc talked about yesterday. Talked about Austin Martin, the number one player on my board, Vandy guy, former Indians draft pick. Emerson Hancock is my number two. He's number one in a lot of places, Georgia pitcher. He is, he's teamed up with Cole Wilcox, who's a big wild card for me, Wilcox. He's a draft-eligible sophomore who didn't start regularly as a freshman. Uh, big kid, big stuff, could jump up this board, could fall way down this board. Uh, a lot of variance in his outcomes, kind of just need to see more from him. Hancock, though, uh, what I loved was a walk rate under two as a sophomore. He's already got an upper 90s fastball, uh, a change, a slider curve that all flash, you know, above average plus. Uh, there's The thing at the end of the day is 
the strikeout rate wasn't spectacular for that type of stuff. You know, it's not like when I've had other guys and I'm super high on because it's like, well, they're an SEC pitcher and they're just mowing guys down. Uh, his strikeout rate was under 10, which is kind of surprising for a pitcher with his stuff and the injury issues. You know, he missed time a year ago with the tired arm. You know, it's always a concern that uh, colleges tend to lie about injuries, let's be honest. Um, tired arm or you know the number of times it's, oh it's a shoulder issue and then it's like no it was Tommy John surgery it was not a shoulder issue it was uh, or I guess Tommy John could reflect in there but you know what I mean there's a time where like it's a hip injury and then it's like yeah now they need uh, you know a, their muscles and their elbow chain you know all changed out basically uh, so I don't always trust them but the thing with Hancock is he's not going to turn 21 till the end of May he has the stuff there. Georgia isn't really a great baseball factory. Um, it's an up-and-down program, frankly, in terms of just talent. Uh, not a lot of top talent goes there. Like, Wilcox is one of the bigger recruits they've had in recent memory. Um, was it Robert Tyner? Maybe Tyler was the guy who had some first-round run who ended up, I think, being a second-rounder of the Rockies who it just hasn't really worked out for him. Uh, so in some respects, you kind of look at that program and you go, well, we can probably get more. You know, it's not like he went to Florida and failed to develop where they have really strong pitching and really strong coaching. Or Louisville, you know, you kind of are concerned when a guy goes to a top program and doesn't develop because you're like, well, he's already getting a lot of one-on-one develop, a lot of one-on-one time with guys who have shown they can develop pitchers. Um, Georgia hasn't really shown they can develop guys. So you might look at it and think, oh, there could be more here. This isn't a program that's known for um, getting the most out of their guys. The stuff's there. Let's see what else we can do. Spencer Torgelson at three. Uh, uh, he's got a chance this year to, very good chance, to break in the top ten all-time with home runs. If he hits 25 home runs this year, which uh, I believe he's averaged 25 the last two years, he will tie Corey Snyder, former Indian, for 10th all-time in NCAA history. Um, he's hit for power in the Cape with uh, facing top competition and using wood bats. He walks at a high rate. He hits for average. I mean, he's just a really safe prospect. First base only, which always has its its concerns, but it's refreshing kind of after we see uh, Vaughn a year ago to see another undersized right-handed bat first baseman who, you know, has been able to tear the uh, cover off the ball in college. And the the other thing with him is he's not going to be 21 until August, so he's another super young guy for the class. Um, yeah, I, I, you want know, safe? It's him. Nick Gonzalez is a personal favorite, and part of that is bias of I was the first guy on him, like 100%. I was doing one of my fun with numbers pieces, and I'm just kind of digging around. I'm like, who the heck is this guy who is, uh, what was mine? I, I said, his numbers looked like he was using a game genie while playing on beginner mode. Uh, it was just, it was, it, we're not, these weren't video game numbers. It was um, easy mode with a game genie. Uh, video game numbers and I understood to a degree why you discounted at that point because New Mexico is where bats go to overachieve uh, the environment is incredibly hitter friendly and that um, you know he's not facing much the competition out there is not high in that conference uh, we've had a lot of guys get overdrafted based on performance there over the years and I was fine with that I'm like okay yeah I mean the reports say that he's a solid second baseman There's he's an interesting maybe second round pick just because of production and the chance to be a middle infielder. But I think everything changed completely when he went to the Cape and was essentially the top hitter in the Cape this past summer. 
you know, he, uh, you're talking to wood bats, you're talking top competition, you're talking an environment that some, oftentimes is more pitcher than hitter friendly. And he did it all. He hit for power, hit for average, he walked. He continued showing the complete game he showed. Uh, it's going to be interesting because he can't do a lot to increase his value. He's a, likely a second base only prospect. He's not, you know, if he does not replicate his performance of a year ago, it might hurt his value. Um, because he's facing such crappy competition in such a hitter-friendly environment. But, uh, you know, I find guys like him just really interesting. You know, I brought this up in my profile on him. He only had two teams recruit him out of high school, and he's one of those guys that just had to outwork everyone, has consistently outworked everyone. And I always feel like if you're that guy, like what type of chip on your shoulder do you have? Uh, Like how much are you going to just keep... You know, having that reason, that internal motivation that uh, no one wanted me. No one gave me a chance outside of, like, two schools. And now I'm going to prove every college wrong. And he might spend the rest of his career proving everyone wrong. And there are a lot of guys who basically made whole careers out of that. But, yeah, I mean, Gonzalez, you, you have your relative risk. But at the end of the day, it's a middle infielder who dominated the Cape. I'm feeling very comfortable with him. Uh, as a prospect. Asa Lacey at five. Uh, if you remember a few years ago, I projected him as a first-round pick to the Indians. Uh, gosh, it would be back in 2017 now at this point. Uh, he is a big lefty at Texas A&M. Velocity has been improving. Uh, missed a ton of bats. You know, we talked about um, uh, Hancock not missing enough bats in the SEC. As a sophomore, Lacey's strikeouts per nine was over 13, which was one of the best rates in the entire country. Now, I was I profiled him heavily um, before that 2017 draft, and I was very high on him. And like I said, I did mock him to the Indians at one point, but uh, the Indians ended up drafting him on day three late. Uh, so that was kind of a fun thing that I had said, oh, this is exactly their type of guy. And then they ended up drafting him um, knowing there'd be 0.0 chance he could sign but still, it was it was fun to see from that perspective that I had kind of nailed down a guy that I thought, oh, this guy is the type of guy I think the Cleveland Indians would target and or like. And if you're curious about who the Indians took, well, that, that pick that I projected was a second-round pick. Uh, they did not have a first-round pick that year because of the previous mentioned um, uh, addition of Edwin Encarnacion. I don't know if uh, they had any hope of signing him in round two. Probably not, though that was kind of where he's projected in a lot of places. Uh, It's an interesting draft class because uh, Quentin Holmes, who they did took, is just, uh, it's not been pretty so far in terms of production. Jonathan Rodriguez was a guy who I didn't even know was draft eligible. I missed his reclassify. I think he was the youngest player in that class. Ernie Clement, um, future utility guy. Austin Wade, Mike Rivera, not too much there. Kirk McCarthy uh, looked good before he kind of got slowed down with injuries. Eli Morgan was another guy that when the eighth round started, I'm like, isn't it time for the Indians to draft Eli Morgan? And they did. Uh, then at nine was Karen Schock, and ten was uh, was Jesse uh, Bardi, or Ber- uh, Berardi, so uh, St. John's guy. And I remember what really stood out was they didn't do any senior signs. Like, Karen Schock got full uh, freight and board, full bonus value in the ninth, and that was the same thing with... Uh, with Berardi, that they did that as well. That, that that's how they saved. Uh, they didn't save money with those picks. They used those picks and just gave them full slot and were able to gate those guys. Matt Turner in the eleventh, 
Uh, we talked about him throughout the year this year. Kyle Nelson in the 15th, another guy that uh, we've talked about in multiple points this year. So it was an interesting draft for them uh, in regards to the guys that they kind of uh, were able to add and help them. And then just also, like I said, playing simply the guys that they missed out on at points. Um, but going back to it all with them, it's, yeah, you know, it's the Asa Lacey would have been nice in round two. And, of course, um, man, I made the biggest mistake in this whole thing now as I look at this because I forgot that they had that comp A pick, and that's that's another pick where uh, I was completely off. I, I thought it was Ty, uh, I forgot to mention Ty Freeman, who is a top three prospect in the system. So while they, they completely swung and a miss with the top pick, I mean, it's a, a exceptionally strong draft with uh, Freeman, uh, Karen Chalk, and I mean, those two alone make it a strong draft. We'll see what we get out of Morgan and some of these guys like McCarthy and uh, Turner and Nelson, I think, also still give you potential. Uh, and I, I think Clement's a pretty easy-to-project utility guy. But uh, yeah, so that's that's just kind of some, some more draft talk. That's the top five guys. We'll talk about some more of that tomorrow uh, as I continue to go exceptionally long on these podcasts. But yeah, that's where we are. You know, we got to find things to talk about when the Indians are um, sitting on their hands right now. So we'll, we'll look at the draft some more. We'll look at the, some of these minor league guys, see who maybe is under the radar, who could help the Indians in the minor league systems. Uh, we're going to talk about what lineups look like in the, the upcoming days, if they don't change anything, how I think that'll line up. Uh, we got some places to go and some people to talk about. I'm sure there'll be some more news like there has been virtually every day so far. So I want to thank you all for uh, for rating and reviewing, for listening and following along. I feel like today's was a little extra rambly, so I'm going to apologize for that. You guys make the show go, though. Thank you again. I should say guys and gals make the show go. So thank you, as always, and go Tribe. <laughs>